everyone. My name is Oliver Anglin. I am the Clinical Director for Children and Young People for NHS England London Region. Uh, I'd like to welcome you to today's Ask About Asthma podcast episode where we're covering a very important issue. How do we ensure that every child or young person with asthma is treated by an appropriately trained professional? And for the purposes of uh, this podcast today, I'm joined by Jen Townsend, a general paediatrician and uh, also the national clinical lead for children and young people's asthma at NHSE. Uh, Jen, hello. Hello, Oliver. Thanks for thanks for joining me for this conversation today. Uh, you know, something that's obviously really important nationally. Why did you see this as important? What's your journey into this piece of work? Yeah, thanks. So there was a, a, a number of things really that kind of highlighted to me the importance of training and education in children and young people's asthma. Um, the first was there was several coroner's inquiries where lack of education and training of healthcare professionals was um, recognised as a significant avoidable factor in the deaths of children with asthma. And then at the same time, there was two reports. There was the National Review of Asthma Deaths um, that looked at all deaths in the UK over a one-year period of people with asthma in detail, and also the Healthcare Safety Investigation Branch investigation into childhood asthma. Uh, And both of those recommended at the end that children and young people with asthma should be cared for by a healthcare professional who had had specific asthma training for children and young people. So this made sense, but actually there were no nationally agreed standards of what that training should include, what it should look like, and actually there weren't really any nationally approved training programmes to meet those recommendations. So when, when this opportunity came up at NHS England to be involved in the development of of appropriate training, um, I was really keen to get involved. What about you? Yeah, sort of, um, sort of similar uh, in in the sense of recognising that there was a bit of a, a gap. So my background is I'm a, a GP and then have various different clinical leadership roles. So one at borough level, one at sub regional level, um, in North Central London at the ICS, and then I also had a role initially as the children's asthma lead or clinical lead for children's asthma for London. And it was the same sort of thing that basically we uh, were trying to do all of this work around improving outcomes, and we were looking at service development and all that sort of stuff but there wasn't much around the training and in in London we developed the London asthma standards so this was a really comprehensive piece of work around what we think would be kind of the minimum standards across the whole system for, for care for children and young people with asthma and we referenced in those frequently seen by a person with appropriate training and it was the same thing it was just like you know what does that mean and how would we know that somebody had completed training which was appropriate. So it was the same sort of idea and started looking at how we could do something in London around, you know, creating a sort of set of standards. And uh, and it came, it, it sort of just happened at the, the right time, really, because I know we approached the national team and it was the same time that they were thinking about the, the national bundle for children's asthma. And it really sort of chimed with what they were trying to achieve I don't think they'd necessarily initially thought about it specifically as a as a kind of major thing, but but after conversation with them, we sort of recognised that this was actually 
really critical that it would underlie absolutely everything else and that's same as you know recognizing that there was a bit of a bit of a gap you know we we all talk about training but we don't actually say what that means um, and we, we noticed in our region as well there's quite there was quite an appetite for it so we developed some of our own local training courses and they were oversubscribed every time and people really valued them so i think not only was there a gap and a need but there was also an appetite from the people who would be wanting to do them to have something that they could use yeah agree yeah and it was similar similar for us as well and i think the um a, a kind of another sort of key part of it that i thought was necessary also was the was the kind of levers because i also felt that like if you you couldn't put on training programs but it's important that people recognize that there's a you know that there is a gap in knowledge we needed to kind of publicize that actually this this was an issue and that it was important to to create an understanding about what appropriately trained men and create resources so that people could, could kind of go through that. But then also that kind of national levers or national pressure that this was something that was important that people needed to get behind. And, you know, it's kind of all of all of those things were critical and also uh, the opportunity, I think, that presented itself from from the, the national work. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't mention at the top, but obviously the reason you and I are talking about this is because we actually led this work yeah. for National, this this kind of part, the, the work stream around um, around capabilities and training. What, what were your thoughts about what we did, the you know, capability you know, framework and your, your kind of memories about how we approached that? Well, I think the first thing we, we, we both agreed on was that we needed to have some kind of framework in terms of defining what the skills and knowledge were that people would need. So people were quite clear on what, what was being asked of them really. And from that, we sort of had to look at which professionals we were sort of trying to reach. Um, and we agreed quite early on that we didn't want to just stick to healthcare professionals. We wanted to look at a much more holistic view of the child and all the professionals that would be involved in their lives. So we wanted to look from Cub Scout leaders to teachers, teaching assistants, social workers, right through every profession to your tertiary specialist, respiratory paediatrician. So from that, we sort of built this idea of a tiered capability framework. So there would be different tiers of, of skills and knowledge that people would need, and this would be dependent on what sort of care they would be delivering to that child. Um, so sort of at your, your basic level, at tier one level, this this would be sort of a signposting role um, and building right through five different tiers, each tier adding to those skills and knowledge. So we started looking to see what was already out there at the various different syllabuses and frameworks for the different professions, pulled them all together and developed a small working group to sort of sense check it all and make sure that we were covering everything that needed to be covered. And from that, we developed the, the capabilities framework. So that was sort of the foundation of it. You know, you've highlighted that that fact that we were thinking more about the, the kind of role that a person plays in the, in the, in the care of. So we were thinking about, you know, if you're responsible for a child with asthma, what is your role in in looking after that child? As you said, it's Cub Scout leaders or teachers, it's or, or social, you know, work people working in social care. Um, all of those things are just as important. It's like you don't need to know how to treat asthma, but it is important to understand why asthma matters and at least have a bit of a sense about like what are the what are the warning signs? How can we all share that responsibility for ensuring that this child or young person is is kind of looked after appropriately? Um, you know, we all have that that kind of responsibility, and I think that really reflected in the way we pulled together that working group as well. You know, the representation we had was broad. We 
we we had people from you know local authority and early help and then all the various different branches within medicine school nursing and uh, you know primary care the royal colleges were all involved i think at the end of that we ended up with a really comprehensive sort of framework of skills and knowledge that people would um, be expected to have if they were to safely care for a child with asthma. And it wasn't just us kind of making it up. We we took <laughs> we put all of that work in and then and then sort of circulated it. We took it out to, to to everyone. To be honest, we took it all over the place to and taking it to groups of you know asthma nurses and groups of emergency medicine doctors, etc. Just to really sense check it. Uh, probably our biggest. Um, not sticking point one of the one of the things that was always sort of flagged up was trying to get across the idea that this is about the the role you play not your job title i think you know important to to kind of emphasize that again you you're the tier at which you ought to be capable is dependent on what role you're playing so we're not saying that all gps have to be tier three or all practice nurses have to be tier two if you're more involved in care and making diagnosis and thinking about initiating treatment whether you're a you know, a GP or a practice nurse, you know, you should you should be working at that kind of tier tier three level and should and should be trained to that degree as well. Yeah, because um, we thought that would keep it relevant, wouldn't we? Because there are some roles that evolve over time. So a practice nurse might start off at delivering care at a tier two level, but perhaps they would then go on and develop their own nurse-led asthma clinic where they would be doing more. And then at that point they would review and say, well, I need I probably need to be at tier three level of training here. Yeah, exactly. And we also recognise the kind of complexity as well. So we started by thinking about what the capabilities were. Um, this was the, the kind of framework. But of course, once you have decided what the what the capabilities are, the, the sort of second part of our work was the was the training. It was like, you know, now we needed to we, ne we needed um, a system of kind of creating training opportunities or products that would be appropriate. And that's where that's where we moved on to. So, I mean, how did how did you find that? It's sort of a leading question because yeah. you know, we're slightly involved in in tier in the tier two, but 100% in the tier three work. Yeah. Well, we started off, didn't we? So we looked at we wanted to see what was already out there because there was no point reinventing the wheel. And actually, there were some really fantastic e-learning courses out there that, with just a few little tweaks could be adapted to deliver all the capabilities for a particular tier. So we started off approaching, we, we did all the courses that were out there and, and sussed them out. And then we approached the education providers of the courses that we thought would most closely align with the different tiers and the capabilities for different tiers. And actually everybody, the various people that we approached, they were really supportive, really keen to be involved and really happy to adapt things. Um, so that was where we sort of started, but then inevitably there was particularly for tier three, there just wasn't training programmes out there that would, would cover it. Got involved at that point and worked with the Beat Asthma team um, that I am already involved with and we have we built the tier three training programme for that, along with lots of input from um, experts around the country. But at the end of that, we ended up with um, education programmes for tiers one, two, three and four that was completely aligned to the capabilities so that if, if a learner went in and did those training programmes, they could be confident that they would have met all the capabilities for that particular tier. Yeah, 
we wanted to have a think about the um, kind of accreditation process. So for the courses that that already were in existence or, or were created, the, the tiers three and four, um, but also the opportunity for um, people to actually just do their own stuff. You know, lo locally, we kind of recognise that um, some areas would prefer to create or, or have locally developed kind of training within their area. So we also remember how important that was for us looking at how, how you know, what's the process going to be. So it was back to the Royal Colleges to talk to them about accreditation, which was absolutely critical for us. We wanted to have um, a kind of system in place so that other areas could look at our capabilities framework, design a training programme for use locally, and then, you know, importantly, have it accredited. Because this is, is the consistency that we're really looking for. It's not just it's not just training. We wanted to sort of uh, to try and find a way of getting good quality training that we could at least um, have some sort of sense was was of a, was of a decent and consistent standard. Yeah, absolutely. And we wanted to make the process not too arduous as well, so that people weren't discouraged um, from making their own courses if they felt that was more relevant. So the RCGP and the RCPCH, they were both really helpful and have provided an accreditation system that isn't too difficult if, if people want to create their own courses. We also yeah. remember we also thought about the um, the sort of higher tiers, tiers four and five and and what we could do about them because obviously a training course at that sort of level was going to be very involved and perhaps not altogether necessary. Yeah, that was would usually been the case for 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 those working at the sort of tier four level. And and so for this we're talking about professionals who are working with more with your more complex cases. So the kind of harder harder to treat, um harder to treat asthmas and more complex cases. So we're thinking, you know, roles, the people who would typically be performing that role would either be, you know, respiratory consultants, children's respiratory consultants or um, children's asthma nurse specialists. And, and, and the, the challenge I think that we faced in our conversations were that there was some very highly skilled um, people working in these in, in these fields who had done more than enough training in this area, but it hadn't necessarily been specifically a children and young people's asthma course. It would have been you know, clinical examination courses and postgraduate um, asthma modules that have been all age rather than a specific focus on children. And they've been doing all this work, sitting in with consultants and being supervised and et cetera, et cetera. So there was all this sort of almost more of a, a kind of portfolio qualification that, that we wanted to recognise as well as kind of saying, oh, no, sorry, you if you haven't if you haven't done the course, it, it, it doesn't count. We didn't want to you know find ourselves in that position because you know these other these other kind of paths in and ways of developing experience are um at least as valid and and that was uh, an important thing for us to to recognize and 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 find an alternative solution so that's how we we came up with the the idea of the the kind of portfolio element as as well and we developed a, a template didn't we so that people could they can adapt it to their own needs, but it sort of guides them in roughly what what might be useful in a portfolio of evidence for those various tiers. Yeah, and it felt like you know absolutely felt like the the right approach for those for those working at the the kind of higher higher levels. 
And we needed somewhere to host all of this. So we worked with Health Education England um, and they adapted that their, their current asthma page was CYP and adults. Um, and working with us, they split it into a CYP page and an adult page. And then the framework and the links to all the different education programmes and the portfolio evidence have all been hosted on that page. And it's probably worth mentioning that the education programmes with tiers one, two and three are all available on eLearning for Health and they're free of charge. Yeah, and I mean, so important for us. I, I think we really wanted as much as possible that this should be as accessible as possible. Hence, you know, national approach, national body hosting in Health Education England, and then these free for users courses for tiers one, two and three, which will cover the, 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 the lion's share of professionals that we're trying to access. And then with, with tier four, still the options you can do the the online training modules or you can kind of go through a, a more portfolio approach to training with them with internal sign-off within your within your ICS so really I think you know it's great that this is available for free to everybody I think it's so important that that's uh, an outcome that's been achieved here. We've also been supported by CQC haven't we because they, they've recognised the importance of it and they will they will look to see that if if an organisation is looking after children and young people with asthma that they have done the relevant training um, as part of their assessment. So that's been a really important part of this as well. Yeah, really important to have to have all of these kind of organisations being aware of the the importance of this this kind of work and this long term condition in children. This has all been done now. You know, we've kind of steered that work with a lot of support from the national team and from you know professionals from all of the, the colleges and and other bodies and organisations with an interest in children and children's asthma. But now we're kind of at that critical point. So we now we now know what appropriate training means. We now have courses which are the criteria for how well a person should be trained. The difficult the difficult bits now to come, Jen. I mean, what are your thoughts about rollout? For people that are listening, where do you see the challenges lie or the opportunities? I think that the huge opportunity is the development of the ICSs because they're going to be in the perfect position to know what's best for their population and their region and hopefully we'll have asthma networks so they can reach all these different areas, let them know what training is, what's out there and how to access it really. So I think that's going to be a crucial part of it. I think it is going to mean different things to different people. I think an individual might be looking at this and saying, you know, how can I make sure that I am appropriately trained and just knowing that they can go to the HEE CYP asthma page and that everything they need really is just on there. Um, it's going to be really important. And I think, you know, people that are working at the system level can work within the various different members of their network to make sure that this is taken up at a system wide approach, really. Yeah, I think the thing you're right. It's it's kind of understanding, you know, the the message I give to to people listening is is understanding how you can influence your area, your organisation, and um, whatever it might be at a personal level. This this training exists, and you're you're able to do it. So if you want to just look at your own practice, that's great. But I think now sharing the message that this that this that this is happening and being able to spread that, I think, will be also really valuable. And as you've mentioned, Jen, there are systems being built now to support outcomes for children and young people with asthma so within the within the ICSs if this feels like it's something that's important to you and you want to be involved with there, there is work happening locally it is possible to to link into that and 
to, to, to maybe have a look at your organization and think, well, you know, looking, looking with the people that I work with, how many of them have been trained in children's asthma? How many of them come into contact with children who have asthma on a fairly regular basis? And how many of them have those kind of skills that would be, be appropriate to support these children and young people? Because, it, you know, these, if we don't start asking these questions and spreading that message, it, it sort of gets, it gets lost. So I think anyone listening, you know, has a, has a role to play here and a, and a, and a responsibility. And I think it's also, I mean, just, just going back to some of the stuff that we were talking about before, I think um, these courses on their own aren't, a, um, aren't intended to take somebody who knows absolutely nothing and turn them into an expert. I mean, this is supposed to supplement your, your kind of pre-existing knowledge. There is a, a kind of assumption, you know, for the, for the higher tiers, tiers two and upwards, that you already have training in, in a clinical profession, which is appropriate to look after children and young people and have those conversations. This is sort of intended to, to supplement it. So it, it is a fantastic opportunity to, to kind of upskill and, and to, to bring yourself to a point where you're much more comfortable with looking after these people. Absolutely. I mean, we started out on this whole journey and our aim really was that every professional, be that a cub scout leader through to a tertiary paediatrician, that they had the skills and knowledge so that when they saw a child or young person with asthma, they could safely care for them. Um, and we just want to ensure that this is embedded in the system so that children and young people can benefit from healthcare professionals and professionals across the board having those skills for, for generations to come. So well, I think we've done, we collectively not just you and i jen once again standing on the shoulders of giants here when we were doing all of this i think that you know that the kind of beginning piece has been done now we've created the the framework the training's available and now it's kind of over to everybody else to 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 begin to utilize this and to and to change and um, to change their system and and hopefully to have these incredibly positive impacts on on children and young people's care so yeah with with that that brings today's episode to a close uh, i'd like to thank you all for listening it's uh, it's been a great pleasure talking about something which uh, is so close to uh, both jen and, and my heart so yeah thanks thanks for listening uh, do please visit the ask about asthma webpage where you will find a number of other podcasts um and also the full schedule for the ask about asthma week with all of the other activities that will be happening across um, across this really important week so that's it thank you all for listening